The reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 16, and it's titled Manna and Quail. <clears throat> the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they came out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we found pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven to you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumblings against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumblings of the Israelites. Tell them. At twilight, you will eat meat, and in the morning, you will be filled with bread. <clears throat> then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Our New Testament reading uh, continues the theme and is headed, Jesus, the bread of life. And this is John chapter 6 and starting at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, 
Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, well, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Amen. My sermon title for today is as follows. Enough is enough. Did you know that we have a just-in-time supply chain in the UK for food, manufactured goods, and of course, as uh, many of us have recently discovered, petrol? Much has been written about the effect of Brexit on this system of manufacture and delivery, creating bottlenecks of labour shortage that make it vulnerable and fragile to changes in consumer demand. And what struck me as I was preparing for today's sermon on manna in the wilderness is that the recent petrol supply problems were caused by a change in behaviour. Did you know the, the only thing that really changed was the average refill of a tank went up from 24 litres to 29 litres. That's all it took. People got worried by news reports that they might not be able to get petrol tomorrow, so they quite understandably decided they better fill up today to ensure they had enough in hand for the journey they had planned tomorrow. This sudden average increase of just five litres of petrol per transaction led to the situation many of us have found ourselves in of experiencing the frustration of empty fuel stations and long queues as the bottleneck of driver availability has led to an inability in the supply chain to respond to an increase in customer demand. Well you may be wondering quite what all this has to do with the biblical story of manna in the wilderness and I want to suggest that what we have here is an ancient parable of economics that can speak powerfully to two interconnected issues that affect our lives today. I think that these two areas are encapsulated in the example of the recent petrol supply problem. Firstly, I want us to think about politics. And secondly, I want us to think about our environment. The supply chain problem speaks to the world of politics, the way we order society. And our ongoing reliance on fossil fuels 
speaks to the way we relate to environmental concerns and particularly the climate crisis. And these two concerns of politics and the environment are also, I think, encapsulated in two current rounds of meetings. Firstly, the recent party conferences, and secondly, the forthcoming COP26 United Nations Climate Change Conference. So politics and the environment, two of the defining issues of our time. We will come back to these. But let's dig now back into the book of Exodus for a moment and see what ancient wisdom we might hear for ourselves and for our world. If you were with us last week, you will remember that we were with Moses on Mount Sinai, encountering the call of God in the burning bush. Well, by the time we rejoin the story of Moses in today's reading, Moses has led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, through the waters of the Red Sea and into the wilderness of sin, at the start of what will uh, end up being 40 years of wandering before they find themselves at the entrance of the promised land. And when we meet them in chapter 16 of Exodus today, the people of God are complaining. They're finding the wilderness hard. They are indulging in nostalgia for what has suddenly become the good old days of slavery in Egypt. They are hungry and they remember with longing the flesh pots of Egypt, quickly forgetting the crack of the whip and the sweat of the brow of their generations of enslavement. I think it is significant here that the context for the gift of the manna from heaven is the people looking back with nostalgia. There's something about us as humans that tends us towards an idealization of the past. And this can seriously hamper our ability to take good decisions about the future. The people of Israel at this point would rather have turned back to Egypt than they would have continued their journey through the uncertainty of the wilderness in the hope of a better future. And we do this too, collectively, as a church, as a society, and we do it individually. At a national level, our political discourse is dominated by a populist resistance to change. Whether the issue is immigration, education or taxation, those who promise to recover the glories of the past do quite well in the polls. Whilst those who offer a less certain road to a different future are ridiculed and sidelined. Just look at the way the prophets of our time, women such as Greta Thunberg or Malala, are belittled and silenced by those who speak in defence of the status quo. And yet we ignore these prophets at our peril. If we do not find a more sustainable way of ordering our society and living with our planet, the cost in terms of human suffering will be immense. We cannot just carry on as we always have done. We cannot go back to as it used to be. But we also indulge in nostalgia at a more parochial level too. We do it in church life. Have you ever heard someone say how much better it used to be? Like the Israelites in the wilderness, we too can look back with rose-tinted spectacles to a now past golden age, 
to the church as it was when we first fell in love with it. But I'll guarantee you this, if you went back to that point in time and listened carefully, you would hear someone saying how much better things used to be in the good old days. The truth before us is the same truth discovered by the people of Israel in the wilderness. We have to stop looking back and start looking forwards. This is true of our society. It is true of our approach to the climate crisis. And it is also true of our church. At our church meeting in a couple of weeks, we will be praying and discerning together about how we will rebuild our congregational life as we emerge from the pandemic. And we will have to be honest with one another about what has been lost. In some ways, it feels to me like we are emerging from a time of war. We've been in survival mode for the last 18 months as the bombs of COVID-19 have fallen on us and our society. And we have worked hard and we have pulled together and we have kept the show on the road and well done everyone. But now we are taking stock and realizing that much of what we had previously valued about our church community life together has been destroyed. For better or worse, we have passed together through the waters of the pandemic. And now we are in the unknown territory of the wilderness on the other side. And we cannot go back, no matter how much we might want to. And looking back with nostalgia won't really help us in our new vocation of looking forwards. And this is where God comes into the story and where faith starts to take shape in our lives and in our community and in our society. Because what the people of Israel in the wilderness had to learn was that the provision of God in the present doesn't necessarily look like it did in the past. The nourishment of God's people is not an eternal supply of Christian quiche. And we will need to discover together the new ways in which God will feed us, nourish us, strengthen us for the journey ahead. The things that sustained our community in the past may no longer be possible in the new normal of our present and future. But God has not abandoned us. And God will continue to give us all that we need to be the people of God in our time and our world. Sam Wells, our friend from St Martin in the Fields down the road, suggests that churches look to what they have, not to what they don't have or what they no longer have. Because, he says, all the resources we need to fulfil our calling as God's people have already been given to us. The manna for today, sufficient for today, is already there on the ground before us, waiting to be picked up. For too long, churches have seen themselves as communities of strength, either in terms of numbers or wealth, and they have acted out of their accumulated abundance to minister to the needs of the needy. The lesson of the manna is that it is the daily dependence on God's provision that builds the people of God. We are not called to do things to others from a position of strength, but rather to act with others to build justice together in the world. This is why our partnership with London Citizens is so significant, as we act alongside others 
other Christians, but also Muslims and Jews and non-Christians. To bring about the world as it should be from the ashes of the world as it is. And so we lift our, our eyes from our own concerns as a community of faith to the wider issues of our society, to the issues of politics and the environment. And we discover that the lesson there is the same, which is that the economy of God is an economy of sufficiency. The prophetic word we bring to our society and which we live into being in our lives, is that enough is enough. The parable of the manor directly challenges the ideologies of free market capitalism. At the Conservative Party conference last week, the Prime Minister said that the UK has, and I quote, one of the most unbalanced societies and lopsided economies compared to other richer countries. He went on, it is not just that there is a gap between London and the southeast and the rest of the country. There are aching gaps within the regions themselves. And of course, he is absolutely right. The rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer in our society. You only have to spend a little bit of time reading the reports of the Pandora Papers and the accumulation of offshore wealth to see this demonstrated so very clearly. And if John had been able to join us earlier to talk about London Prisons Ministry, we would again have seen how those who are imprisoned when they come out of prison face a situation where it is almost impossible for them to get their lives back together. And so they end up back in a spiral of deprivation that leads back to further spells in prison. The rhetoric of levelling up, based on a commendable aspiration to address poverty and inequality, is predicated on creating opportunities for those living in disadvantaged areas to improve their lot through economic growth, job creation, and attention to health and well-being. In other words, it is based on creating a context where the poor can themselves start the process of accumulating wealth. Whether this will work or not remains to be seen, but I hope and pray that much good will come of it. But I also hear the words of Jesus saying that the poor you will always have with you. And I hear the lesson of the manner that the economy of God is an economy of sufficiency where everyone has enough. And I wonder what the reality will be for those whose experience of exclusion and deprivation reduces their capacity to grasp the wonderful new world of levelling up opportunity that will apparently shortly open before them. I look back and it was about this time last year that I preached on this same passage and I spoke then in favour of the idea of a universal basic income. You can look it up on our website if you're interested. But I still think we need more radical policies of wealth redistribution than simply creating opportunities for people to better themselves. Important though that is. My question is, will it be the fault of the poor if they remain poor? I fear for the victim blaming rhetoric that can so easily creep into our national discourse 
And I remain convinced that the problem of inadequate provision at one end of society can only be solved by addressing the exorbitant consumption and accumulation at the other. And as Christians, as the people of God in the wilderness of this world, we have a role to play in modeling a better way of being human, of embodying in our communities the economy of God, and of using our public voice to speak prophetically to our society that enough is enough, and that unregulated accumulation by the few at the expense of the many is a deficient vision of human society. This isn't just about who you vote for, although it is that. It's also about how you and how I and how we relate to the resources in our lives, how we spend our money, how we use our time. I do commend to you our church's recently adopted ethical shopping policy. Uh, Libby has been really helpfully sending out information about this every week. I do hope you're doing some of the stuff we agreed on. Can we inhabit together the economy of God, which understands God's gifts of nourishment and sustenance as sheer gift to be held lightly, given generously, and shared fairly? Most of you never get to see what we do with our hardship fund, because inevitably that stuff is kept confidential. But I see it, and that hardship fund has been genuinely transformational for people's lives. We have turned people's lives around through making interest-free loans or gifts. We can only do that because some of us here are sharing our resources in that way. I genuinely believe we can be, as a community of God's people, those who work for justice in ways that build collaboration rather than hierarchy, ways that build cooperation rather than dependency. The manner of God's provision speaks of a world where accumulation is resisted and resources are shared. And this is where we come to the second strand that I want us to consider today, in addition to politics. I want us to think about the way we relate to our environment. You can see behind me our wonderful new banner that I took delivery of this week. Uh, we're going to be moving it into the foyer, and there are a couple of posters there already giving more information about it. But we'll put it in the foyer so that all the people who come through the building during the week will be able to see it. But we thought we'd put it at the front of the church today so that it could focus our thoughts in worship. I find it both beautiful and terrifying in equal measure. The 170 vertical colored bars show how global temperatures have risen over the last nearly two centuries, with a stark band of deep red stripes showing the rapid heating of our planet in recent decades. If you want to engage more on this, uh, we're joining with our good friends down at St. James's Piccadilly uh, for a, a, a service and a vigil on the eve of COP26, and they've been part of the team that have uh, commissioned these banners, which churches across London will be displaying over the next few weeks. Manor 
was a gift that fell from heaven. The bread that we eat is made from wheat that grows as it is watered by rain that falls as a gift from heaven. All that sustains life on this planet is a gift to us by the planet we inhabit. And scientists tell us that there are enough resources on this earth for all to be fed and to live well and to do so sustainably. This is not an impossible goal. But the reality of our situation is that many starve whilst others accumulate vast resources. We are where we are because we have constructed unsustainable patterns of consumption and created mechanisms that promote hoarding. And I wonder if we can recover the notion of gift in our economic models and systems. Because if we can, this will subvert those practices predicated on taking. If we can learn the lesson of the manner that enough is enough and that accumulation beyond your needs is ultimately pointless and destructive of others. I believe we can offer a vital challenge to a world that needs to change and change rapidly if the worst outcomes of climate change are to be avoided. We can't go back and once again, nostalgia and denial are no help to us here. But by faith, I believe it is true that God has already given us the resources to address the demands of the present. A better future is by the grace of God, still a possibility and never has the world needed the people of God more than it does right now. Jesus' description of himself as the bread of life, spoken in the context of the feeding of the 5,000 in the wilderness of Judea, invites us to see him as manna from heaven, as the gift of God that comes by grace alone, who calls people to lives of generosity and justice, careful of all that has been made. It also invites us to understand our calling as the people of Christ, the body of Christ, bound together by the spirit of Christ. We are called to be the embodiment in this world of the new humanity that is brought into being through the person of Jesus. We are called to be those who respect God's creation and who live lives resistant to the sin of hoarding. Can we discover with the Israelites in the wilderness that the economy of God invites us into a world of sufficiency, where enough is enough? And can we then join with others to proclaim the God-given truth to our world that there is a better way of being human? This is why I'm so proud of this church's participation over the last year in the Just Transition campaign through London Citizens. Many of you took part in the listening exercises that Susan ran last year. We engaged with the Mayor's commitment to make London a zero carbon city by 2030 and have successfully challenged him to create 60,000 good green jobs and to upgrade 100,000 fuel poor homes by the end of 2024. This is life-changing stuff for people. It's why we are teaming up also again through London Citizens with other churches across the West End to challenge every church in our area to set their own house in order by getting their own buildings to zero emissions through the Eco Church Accreditation Scheme, 
We currently have bronze here at Bloomsbury. There are silver and gold before us. For faith to be meaningful, I believe it must take shape in action in ways that are transformative to our world. This is the calling of the people of God to say loudly and clearly to ourselves and to all humanity that enough is enough. Let us pray. Dear Lord, it saddens our hearts to see the world today. We look at inequality leading to so many people to dark places, whether in prisons, in physical or mental illnesses, or struggling to find food and shelter for their families. We bring to you all those who suffer, and we pray for the actions that give hope and another chance for a better life. We pray for the volunteers in prisons, for the London Prison Ministry, for the Safe Home for Women initiative, and for all the people engaged in providing care for the, for the vulnerable, especially as the winter season is nearing. Dear Lord, we see world leaders too often embracing division instead of unity pursuing self-interest instead of justice and not speaking the truth. On the eve of the COP26, we bring to you all those in leadership, come and guide their thoughts and actions, grant them wisdom and courage so that decisions are made and implemented to decisively address the climate emergency in a fair way that protects the more vulnerable through just transition. We pray for true commitments to engage our nations and all of us through our actions on a more sustainable path and embrace the changes that are needed. You remind us again this morning that there is enough food for all as you provided the people of Israel with the manna they needed. At this time of harvest, you bless us again with trees generously filled with fruits and fields with abandoned grain and vegetable. We pray for a better way to share our resources. Dear Lord, we pray for this church. We see the challenges in rebuilding our church community after the disruption of the pandemic. We pray that you guide us in this task. We are thankful for the reopening of the church, for the music, for the initiatives taking place in this building, and for the rekindling of a sense of community among ourselves. Help us to be mindful of each other and caring. We pray for all members of this church afflicted by sickness, grief, or other forms of hardship. Be with them and comfort them. We pray for the future of this church. 
Help us to work together to build new projects. We pray for our engagement with London citizens, for the plan of this church to become more green. Be with us and guide us in the coming church meeting. Lord, let us understand your calling in our life this week, whether it is at work or in our relationship with others. Let us pay attention to your world and act, each in our own life, however small our contribution might be for a better future. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. And so the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, and the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.